Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is Mark chapter 2, starting verse 23 through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, guys. Uh, My name is Fabs. If you're new here at the Vine, um, it's short for Fabian, but you can call me Fabs, Fabian, whatever you would like. Um, We've been going through a series here at the Vine about habits, about the practices of Jesus and following the way of Jesus. Uh, At the Vine, one of our distinctives or one of our kind of personality qualities that we've seen emerge over time is that we want to be a practiced-based church. And what that means is we, we love getting in here and learning about Jesus and singing songs to Jesus, but we want to make sure as a church that we are living out the way of Jesus, that we are practicing the way of Jesus. And I was having dinner with some friends a few weeks ago and was telling them that this has been really good for me in coming to the Vine, but also really challenging. I am, I love to learn about things and God and Jesus, and I like to think about them and process and reflect, but I really struggle when it comes to like actually doing anything different in my life. That's really hard for me. Um, Yeah, and I was telling them so much so that like a few weeks ago when I was teaching on intercession, I was like, you know what, I really want to be a person of intercession. And my first instinct is, in order to do that, I need to probably read another book about intercession. That will really help me. That must be the obstacle. I don't know enough about the topic. Um, And being at the Vine, it's really challenged me to be like, okay, what if I just started practicing it? What if I just kind of leaned into it, trusted what God said is true, and started living that out. Because sometimes, like, our beliefs happen, and then they overflow into this practice or behavior we see in our lives. And sometimes, the practice and behavior helps us learn to believe. Like, like a trust ball, we lean into it, we trust God, we operate in what we believe is true, and our hearts and our heads catch up. And I was telling this to my friends and explaining to them how I'm working on this with prayer. Like, when I wake up in the morning, regardless of, like, what I'm thinking about, if prayer works or doesn't work, I'm trying to just practice praying and see what God does. And one of my friends was like, well, how do you keep it from being a checkbox? How do you keep it from being legalism? Legalism, I know, can be a really churchy word, but it just means the, the, the relationship with God that we have is rule-based. It's the attitude or view that how we perform is what keeps us stable with God. 
Legalism is the idea that, that the way this works with me and God is I have to perform and then I'm accepted and then I'm loved. And so she was asking, how do you keep yourself from operating like, okay, I have to get up and pray because otherwise God's going to be upset with me or God's going to be frustrated with me. And I said to her, you know, I guess it might look the same on the outside, like two people may both be praying, but one of them may roll out of bed and pray because they're like, oh, if I don't pray, God's going to be frustrated or I feel guilty or I feel ashamed and I'm, I'm operating out of this attitude that what I do earns me something with God. And another person may do the exact same behavior, but, but be doing it from a heart of trust, a heart of embracing, right? You can, you can pray to earn intimacy with God, or you can pray because you believe you have intimacy with God. And you want to embrace that. You want to take advantage of that. You want to lean into that. And I told her, I guess you can't tell from the outside, but it feels totally different on the inside. And then I said that, and then I was preparing this week for this <laughs> and realized, like, in this passage today, that maybe I was wrong. <laughs> I think it does look different on the outside. Because what we see today in this passage is exactly that. We see two people practicing the same habit. They're practicing the habit of Sabbath, and half of them are operating out of this legalism, this idea that, that their relationship with God is based on what they do, and then you have Jesus who's just walking in trust and intimacy with the Father. And the way they practice the habit is impacted by how they view God. So that's the habit we're looking at today, Sabbath. And a little background on Sabbath. It is not just a habit. It's actually one of the big Ten Commandments, right? When, when God rolls out the Ten Commandments, Sabbath is on that list. He wants us to keep the Sabbath. When he recaps that list in the book of Deuteronomy, here's what he says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So, Sabbath is this commandment that God gives. It's six days, and on the seventh day, he wants you to rest. He wants you to, to make a practice of setting apart one day a week for rest, okay? That's what Sabbath is. But what that means, what we mean by setting apart one day to rest is very different depending on who you ask. And I know that because in our passage today, we've got Jesus and the Pharisees, which just means like the religious leaders of that time. Jesus and the religious leaders, they both know this verse, they both believe in keeping the Sabbath. They both love God. But the way they're practicing this, the way they're living out this commandment is totally different. What it means to them that on the seventh day we rest is very different, okay? To the religious leaders, what that means is that we stop doing any kind of work. We cease from labor. That's what it means. Six days we labor. Six days we do these things. And on the seventh day we cease. We stop. We don't work anymore. And they mean this really literally. To this day, a friend of mine lived, lived <coughs> sorry, in Israel for a while. And she said that she had to get used to using these Shabbat elevators, which you walk into the elevator and it operates automatically because they don't want you to have to do the work on the Sabbath of pushing the button. Like that's, that's breaking the Sabbath to push the elevator button. So this is the religious leaders. Their view of Sabbath is that you stop doing any kind of work regardless of what that work is. That's the command of the Sabbath. And you can see where they get it from the text. If you'll throw that Deuteronomy 5 verse back up there. 
<coughs> I'm sorry to cough right in the mic. <coughs> oh, sorry, guys. That's exactly what I was trying to avoid, but it happened. Okay. Uh, you can go to the next part of the verse. Okay, yes. So on it you shall not do any work, right? You see where they get this, not do any work, right? And they really emphasize that. Neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, no one's doing any work here. That's the plan. Oh, you're the sweetest. Thank you. So you understand how they could read this, how they could learn this text, and they could walk away thinking that that's the point of the Sabbath. But Jesus, he knows the same Bible, he knows the same verse, he has it inside and out, and he has an entirely different view of the Sabbath. In fact, when he reacts to the religious leaders in this passage, it's almost like he's telling them, you guys missed the point of the Sabbath entirely. Stopping was not the point. Stopping is not what rest is. Stopping is a means to an end. And you can see that in this verse as well, right? He says, observe, and you should not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female, or any of your animals, blah, 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 any donkeys, nothing like that, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. You have to, you have to stop doing work so that you can rest. Stopping is not rest. Stopping is something we do so that we can rest. And the, the religious leaders had begin to, begun to operate as if stopping was what we do on the Sabbath, that that's what it means to practice the day of rest, is to stop doing work. And Jesus was not looking at that way. He was looking at stopping as a means to an end. We stop so that we can rest, so that we can be restored, okay? And don't we see that conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus? They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing with your disciples, letting them take that grain off there to eat? What are you doing healing people? And Jesus is like, you guys have missed the whole point. We stop so that we can be restored, so that we can regenerate. We, we let the land alone for a day so that it can regenerate. We, we let our, our, our donkeys and our ox alone so that they can be restored, so that they can heal. We give creation and we give people a break so that we can restore. And that's what we see Jesus doing on the Sabbath. That's the work. Those are the tasks we see him doing, right? We see the disciple, him advocating for the disciples' hunger to be satisfied, and we see those in pain being set free from it. We see people being healed. Those are the tasks that God does on the Sabbath in Jesus. We see him in this deep restoration, like lost, hungry, broken, being made right. And there's this one part in uh, one of the Gospels that I didn't bring today, but it's the religious leaders literally are watching Jesus do this healing thing on the Sabbath, and they interrupt, and they're like, we get it. You all want to be healed, and healing's great, and Jesus will heal you, but can we, can we do it a different day? Because today's the Sabbath, and we don't want to break the Sabbath. Don't want to break the Sabbath by restoring you, right? And Jesus is like, that's the whole point of it, right? We come to the Sabbath to be restored. We, we, we stop working. We do have to stop working, but we do that to make space for restoration. God has built this rhythm into our weeks and he's given it as a gift if we want to receive it to cease from labor so that we can receive restoration from him. Okay? So, application time. Between my sips of water. I'm trying not to cough again because I know it's going to be so loud in the mic for you guys. <laughs> Too many cough. <laughs> okay. So, First of all, we might miss this, miss this opportunity for restoration if we don't take the time for it, if we, if we don't stop at all. We do have to cease our labor in order to make space for restoration. We do have to stop. And some of us wonder why our weekends aren't refreshing. We wonder why we don't feel restored even though we're reading our Bible or doing whatever task it is that we think will make us restored, going, working out, doing whatever it is. 
but it's because even though we're off, we don't really cease our labor, right? We, we still notice when our boss texts us or emails us and that ping goes off, and even if we resist the urge to respond, we do the emotional labor of prepping for that. We do the emotional labor of prepping for the week. We, we are designed to take a day to, to stop, to cease our labor so that we can make space for restoration. And some of us, we are ceasing from our labor, we are stopping, we are taking a step back from our work, but we have confused stopping with rest. We have, we have begun to think that, that maybe stopping is what it means to rest instead of stopping being a means to an end, to make space for restoration. I'm guilty of this all the time. <coughs> I do this thing where I'm so tired that when I get to the Sabbath, I'm like, I don't, I don't have the energy to go like have a sweet conversation with friends, even though I know that will be filling. I don't have the energy to take a walk around the block. I don't even have the energy to read a book, even though it's one of my favorite things to do. I just need to watch TV because I'm so tired that I just need to stop. That's all I can think. But that keeps me from actually doing what the stopping is for, which is making space for restoration, right? Making space for me to receive that, for me to come to God and, and receive this, this break that he's given us in our week so that we can be restored. If you're not sure what it might look like for you to do that in your life, we have some tools on our website this week under our practices. You can go to our website, find the practices, and then you'll see Sabbath tools. And there are some that help you recognize what are the things that you're laboring that you need to cease, and what are those areas that you're resting, and what are the areas where you're just stopping and you're confusing that for rest, okay? So what would it look like to have a day devoted to opening yourself up to being restored, to receiving that restoration? And I want to say also that Sabbath is not just about restoration. We don't just practice Sabbath to be restored. And I think that's important to highlight because I think we have, at least I have, I don't want to project, but I have this relationship with rest where it's like uh, a reward or something I earn through being exhausted, like something we do at the end of burnout. We only think of rest in terms of I need rest because I'm so exhausted. Sometimes I don't even have the thing that goes off in my head that's like you should rest until I'm at that point of exhaustion. I think of rest as like this reward for when I've really worked hard, when I've burnt out. I have this cycle of like binging and purging when it comes to work and rest, right? I use it to recover from being fractured, like I just said, to be restored. But also, Sabbath is not just for that. It's to keep us from being fractured. It's not just to recover. It's not just to restore. It's also a built-in rhythm that we practice before we're burnt out, before we're exhausted, that can help keep us um, good healthy. Sabbath was not originally modeled as a cure for burnout or because this world is too much, okay? It wasn't originally given as an accommodation for our human frailty, and I know that because the first time we see it in Scripture, it's modeled by someone who never grows weary, who's never been tired their entire existence, and that's God, right? In Genesis 2, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. God's just finished making everything, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God practiced Sabbath in the very beginning, before any of us needed rest. God built it into his rhythm, a week, a day, every single week, to take the space to notice, to reflect, to enjoy creation, to, to exist in creation, to see it. And that teaches us this command to take a day to rest. It doesn't just mean restoration. It also means that God has given us this day in our week where we could stop, we could slow down and just notice, like, 
what our life is. The life is not this mysterious thing that's gonna happen once we get through this month or once we get through this crazy season or once we get through Christmas. Life is happening and every single week we get this day where we stop and we notice it. We notice creation, we notice the people God's brought into our life, we notice the things that he has done, we enjoy him. We enjoy everything he's given us and we are enjoyed by him, right? God, who didn't need to rest, he took that seventh day to enjoy creation and that means us, us. That's, that's what he was enjoying on that seventh day, us. He wants this day to be set apart where we take a day each week to enjoy all that he's given us, including himself, and, and be enjoyed by him, okay? So what would it look like to rest because it's part of your rhythm regardless of how tired you are, regardless of how burnt out you are, regardless of how much you have on your list, just to take a day every week where you know this day is about resting, receiving what God has given me, and, and, and to use that day to stop, to create space, not just to come to God and be restored, but also to enjoy all that God has given you. Okay, I'm going to read a little excerpt from this book that I've been loving. This is, this is going to be precariously balanced just here in order to create another crisis in a moment. <laughs> okay, um, this book is really wonderful. Uh, it's called Listening for God. She says, once upon a time, Sunday was a special day, a holy day, a, different, a day different from the other six days of the week. Our working class hearts were ultimately fixed on one thing alone. Sunday held out to us the promise that we might enter our tiny, rough-hewn sanctuary and find sanctity and blessing from a week of loss and indignities. Remembering the Sabbath where I grew up involved delighting oneself for a full 24 hours, ultimately in good company, with fine clothes and choice meals. The Sabbath allowed us to mend our tattered lives and restore dignity to our souls. We rested by removing ourselves from the mundane sphere of secular toil and giving ourselves over fully to the divine dimension where in God's presence one found rest, paradoxically not in stillness or in repose, but in more labor, a different kind of labor. We sang, we waved, we cried, we shouted, and when we felt led to do so, we danced as a way of restoring dignity to our bodies as well. We used our bodies to help celebrate God's gift of the Sabbath, for the Sabbath meant more than withdrawal from labor and activity. It meant to consciously enter into a realm of tranquility and praise. After a week of the body toiling away in inane work and the spirit being assaulted with insult and loss, Sunday was set aside to recultivate the soul's appreciation for beauty, truth, love, and eternity. It was as though time stood still on Sunday. It was a day of magic. And there's more to her story that I'll share. We've been doing these little social media, like, clips where we unpack a little more of what we didn't get to put in the message. And so I'll, I'll share more from that book in that because it's just like the way she describes Sabbath is, is really beautiful. But Sabbath is this day that God has given us where we stop working so that we can make space to come to God, to be restored, and to enjoy everything that he's given us, given us and be enjoyed by him, okay? And that's where the sermon could end, and maybe should end, but it's not going to, because I, this text, as I was like prepping all week, this text was making me crazy because I couldn't quite like figure it out. There's this like, there's this intense, right, anger. There's this intense conflict happening, and I just cannot believe that all of this conflict, conflict is happening because these two groups of people practice Sabbath differently, like because they have a different way of doing it. That, that, that seems like a lot of anger that we see right here, right? The religious leaders in Jesus, they have this run-in over and over and over and over again. I picked this passage in Mark, but I had like 15 on my list I could have picked. 
There are so many examples of this in the Gospels. This is a big deal. They keep fighting about this Sabbath thing, and they get really angry. In another one of the passages, it says that the the religious leaders were filled with fury. This is one of the reasons they want to have Jesus put to death. And and they actually think that that God wants Jesus put to death. This is a big deal, this breaking of the Sabbath. And Jesus, it's a big deal on his end too, right? He looks around at them. In our passage today, it says he's deeply distressed. It says that that our sweet, gentle Jesus is angry. He's really angry when he looks at how they're practicing Sabbath, and he sees beyond that, and he sees into what he says are their stubborn hearts. And it's not because they practice Sabbath differently. It's because the way they're practicing Sabbath reveals that they see God differently. The way that they're practicing, inhabiting this habit of Sabbath shows that they have a very different view of how this dynamic, how this relationship with God works. And the way that they're living out this habit testifies and proclaims something very different about who God is and how our relationship with him works, okay? So the goal for, just big picture here, the goal for God, for us, has always been joy and restoration, Like, he made everything he made from the beginning, all of creation, so that you could enjoy it. He made you so that you could enjoy him, so that he could enjoy you. His whole goal is this union between you and him, this this everlasting joy and love being passed back and forward between us and him. That's, That's why he made everything he made. And Sabbath, just like every other rule he ever gave, was a means to that end. It was a means to that end, but he looked down and his people were like getting so obsessed with keeping the Sabbath and keeping the rules that they were missing the main point, which was that enjoyment of God and God enjoying them. They were operating out of that thing I referred to in the beginning, that legalism, as if their relationship with God was contingent on them keeping the rules. They'd been taught that just like so many of us have, that God is pleased with us when we do well and that he's not when we don't, right? They, they had this idea that's how, that's how the relationship works, and the, the rules had become so important to them, they'd become obsessed with them, that it wasn't like, okay, yeah, they're obsessed with these rules, and that's kind of getting in the way of this enjoyment of God and him enjoying them. It was like, no, this obsession with the rules is 100% eliminating the opportunity to get to the ultimate point. We're not anywhere close here, and we're, we're not getting closer. So, little story here. My niece, last time I was home with my niece, I was working on my computer, and she came up to me, and she wanted to play. And I was like, okay, let's totally play, but first go and draw a horse. And when you're done drawing the horse, then come back, and I will, I can't wait to have that picture. I'm going to put it on my refrigerator, and then we can play together and enjoy each other. And I didn't say that to her because, like, I need her to draw a horse so that she can earn my attention. I didn't say that to her because our relationship is contingent on how well she can draw a horse. And I didn't say that because I really need a horse picture, especially not from my niece who's four and cannot draw a horse. My goal was for us to have fun and enjoy each other. She loves drawing. I was like, go draw this horse. You'll love it. She loves horses. They're her favorite thing in the whole world. I thought, this will be fun. And imagine how like weird and creepy and sad it would be if my niece walked away and was like, got it and began to think that my enjoyment of her was dependent on how well she could draw this horse. Imagine if she thought like, oh, Auntie Fabby only likes me because I'm good at horses. And she got really prideful about how good she was at drawing horses. Or if she, if she thought maybe that she could never play with me again if she couldn't draw a horse. Imagine how much fear and panic that would create. How much pressure there would be on this drawing of horses. Or 
Imagine if she thought, oh, poor Auntie Fabby needs a horse drawing, and she depends on me to get it. And when I give her this horse drawing, she's going to be so lucky. She's so lucky to have me as a niece because I can draw horses so well. That would not play out well. It would keep us from being able to enjoy each other. Even if she could get over her obsession with drawing the horse, so much riding on it, she would have to, like, depend on it. I didn't mean that riding pun, but it was perfect. Even if she could get over that obsession, would she really enjoy spending time with me if she believed I only loved her because she could draw a horse? That doesn't, I would not enjoy spending time with a person who I thought felt that way about me. But don't worry, none of that's what happened. What happened was that my genius niece came back to me with this horse picture. Mm-hmm. She's a genius. Not artistically, because she did not draw this. <laughs> but she is a genius, because she went to my sister, and she said, hey, uh, Auntie Fabi needs me to draw a horse picture for her, so can you draw a horse picture? So my sister drew the horse picture, and then my niece walks in. Like, we're all in the same room. This isn't, like, sneaky. She goes, my sister, my sister draws it. She brings it back to me. She's here, you can put this on your fridge, uh, and you can tell everyone that I drew it. I'm like, but you didn't, you weirdo. Um, here's the thing. When she came to my sister and said, will you draw this? My sister wasn't like, no, you really, it's really important as a four-year-old that you know, horses are so hard. Of course my niece can't draw a horse. So my sister wasn't like, oh no, you, you need to learn how to do this. Keep trying. She was like happy to do it. And when she brought me this horse picture, I was happy to take it. And I was like, close the left hat, play with your niece. She's the best. These religious leaders have become so obsessed with drawing this horse that they are never going to be able to draw. They're never going to be able to do it. Like my four-year-old niece, they just, they don't have the capacity to do it. And they keep trying, and Jesus is standing right there, and he's like, hi, I'm here, and I can draw a horse. I can draw a horse perfectly. And I came because we could tell you guys were getting really obsessed with this horse thing, and it was getting in the way. But if I draw it for you, we'll just get it out of the way, and we can just enjoy each other. You can enjoy God. You can have access to him all the time. You don't have to worry anymore about the horse. It's getting in the way. You can rest and you can enjoy God. That's why Jesus came. And I wonder if this Sabbath thing was so upsetting to him because even though the religious leaders, they did this with every law, every single law they got kind of obsessed with and were trying to keep and thinking that would earn them something with God. And every law Jesus came to fulfill, came to draw the horse for them so that they could be united with God. But Sabbath specifically, Sabbath was given as this sign from God to his people of how things would work between us. It was given as this foreshadowing of the way this relationship would work, right? It says that Sabbath was given as this sign between him and his people when he brought them out of slavery and he heard their cry. They were slaves in Egypt and he heard their cry and he delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and when they were free, he gave them Sabbath. He gave them this sign of how it would be between them and God that it would be different that he wasn't like the rulers back in Egypt, that it would be different. Sabbath is this sign, a foreshadowing of how this relationship is gonna work in Christ, that it's through rest, not through work, that we get access to God. It's an indicator of how it works with God, that he isn't like everyone else. He doesn't need anything from us in order to love us, that he just wants to provide for us. Sabbath is the sign of the thing and I, you and I call the gospel, right? That it's through rest, not work, that we get access to God. Instead of how you work will determine how stable this relationship is. It's, I've made this relationship stable. I've done it, so you can rest. And instead of do these things and produce so that you can be loved, it's you are loved, so you can rest. 
Instead of come to me and work for me and labor for me, it's come to me and find rest for your souls. And I wonder if Jesus was so angry because this Sabbath was supposed to be this sign. And if you look at the religious leaders and how they were treating it, it looks like Sabbath is a sign between God and his people that he's just like everything they left behind in Egypt, that they just traded one kind of slavery for another. That, okay, yes, our, our masters in Egypt asked this of us and we had to do this to be safe. And now we're here with God and we love God and we serve God and we have to do this to please him. We work for him now. It looked like he was just the same. They used Sabbath as a sign between them and God, but it was a sign that he's just like every other authority that we've experienced in this life, right? He, if you look at how they interacted with Sabbath, it looks like it was a sign that God is just like that boss that we've all had who's like warm and cold depending on our performance that makes us earn our rest. And then when we do rest and we come back from it and they make us repay it like it was a favor, Right? If you look at how they inter interacted with Sabbath, it looks like it was a sign that God is like that parent that's never happy with you, it's never quite enough, who only enjoyed you when you were being good, or who never really enjoyed you at all, who was never really present, who never took time and space to wanna just be with you, who used you, who loved you because you could provide something rather than just wanting you. If you look at them and the way they interact with Sabbath, they use it like it's a sign that God's like that partner we've had who, who can't ever really be present with us, who can't ever really put their phone down, who needs us to have it all together or at least not be a total wreck in order to love us. We can sense they might leave us. That's how they interact with Sabbath. They take this thing that God gave as a sign that I'm not like everybody else. I'm God who's asked you to come to me so that you can rest, so that I can provide for you. And this Sabbath, let it be a sign between us of the gospel that is to come, that Jesus will come and he will draw the horse and he'll do all the work so that all we have to do, us and God, is enjoy each other forever. Sabbath that was supposed to be the sign that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to draw the horse because what he's really into, the main point is you, like, he's really into it. He's into spending time with you. He's into intimacy with you. He's into playing with you and having, like, a connection with you. That, that's what God is about. So we get to, if we want to, practice this habit. You don't have to. There's no obligation. But you can practice this habit, right? You can, you can take one day every week where you cease from your labor, where you stop working and you make space so that you can come to God and receive restoration, enjoy all that he's given you, enjoy him, be enjoyed by him, and it can be this sign. It can be this sign between you and God that you can, can trust and learn that he's not like everybody else, that he really doesn't need anything from you. 